grace and peace, and welcome to another episode of Your Week with St. Luke's, our weekly podcast that sets up and starts the rhythm of our week of learn, live, love, and lead. Here in our podcast, we want to do some scriptural studies, some learning, uh, that allowing that scripture after working with it and struggling with it and, and taking it in, allowing it to, to help shape our lives and how we live our lives and how we live our lives and how we lead our lives. And all that brings us back to worship then next Sunday morning as we seek to, to worship God, to love God more fully in worship. And so this week, uh, we have somewhat of a familiar text as we uh, finish up our 23 and We series. Uh, this series is leading us through our visioning for the next season at St. Luke's. So uh, all this week, along with uh, this scripture, uh, we're thinking about that next season and this week especially, designing our lives to, to see the glory, designing a, a, a vision that God has for us to see the glory. So our text is the Gospel of Jesus Christ according to Matthew. So Matthew chapter 17, verse 1 through 9. Now this is the liturgical text. Really all of them have been uh, from the lectionary. Uh, the lectionary is a set of scriptures designed, uh, set aside in a three-year cycle. Uh, scriptures assigned to each Sunday. And so we've been following the lectionary fairly closely. And this is a lectionary text for this week. For this coming Sunday, in particular, the last Sunday before Lent, uh, the transfiguration of the Lord. So this text is Matthew's account of the transfiguration of Jesus. I invite you to take your Bible out uh, if you uh, have a, a paper Bible or pull it up on your app, on your phone, uh, your laptop, or your, your tablet device to Matthew chapter 17 verse 1 through 9. I'll be reading from the Common English Bible translation. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them to the top of a very high mountain. He was transformed in front of them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. Peter reacted to all of this by saying to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you want, I'll make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Yet while he was still speaking, look, a bright cloud overshadowed them. A, a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I dearly love. I am very pleased with him. Listen to him. Hearing this, the disciples fell on their faces, filled with awe. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anybody about the vision until the human one is raised from the dead. The transfiguration of Jesus. It's, it's found in one way, shape, or form in the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
more specifically, Mark chapter 9, verse 2 through 8, and Luke chapter 9, verse 28 through 36. And then, of course, here in Matthew 17, verse 1 through 9. If you recall from our study of the Gospels, all throughout 2020, uh, the Synoptic Gospels are those three Gospels that are seen, optic, together, sin. Together, seen, seen, together, synoptic. They have much in common is what we're trying to say. Mark being a primary source of Matthew and Luke's gospel, it's safe to say then here that Matthew is telling of the Matthew's telling of the Transfiguration has a lot in common and pulling from Mark's telling. Both Mark and Matthew agree that it is the sixth day, and that'll be our first observation for our time together. It's possible that this is an allusion to Exodus 24, verse 12 through 18, where, where Moses sees this, this magnificent glory on the seventh day. If in our text it was six days later, then it's the seventh day. And this is the only the first of many allusions and parallels even to, to Moses in our text. In fact, if you do recall from our study last year on Matthew, Matthew seems to be making the point throughout his gospel that Jesus is a figure like Moses. And it begins with the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Luke puts it on a plain, but Matthew puts it on a mountain, like Moses on a, on a high place bringing a message from God. The same is here. Jesus goes to the top of a very high mountain. And remember, in the Bible and the ancient Near Eastern literature, a mountain serves as a place of revelation, of an encounter with the divine and a revealing of the divine's wisdom uh, to someone. The mountain here is, is unnamed, but seems to correspond with the mountain in chapter 5, where Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, and Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus commissions his disciples to carry out, carry out the sharing of the good news of life in Jesus Christ. So then we have Jesus at the top of this mountain with his inner circle. Later in Matthew 26, these, these same three will go with Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. The text says that while they're up there, he, Jesus, was transformed in front of them. The word here is literally metamorphomia, me, excuse me, or mai, metamorphosis, to undergo metamorphosis. Metamorphosis means to change. Like trans means to cross over or change. Jesus goes through this transition, this trans, this change. He undergoes change. And Jesus predicted that his suffering, death, and resurrection, he predicted his, his royal rule before, but now his disciples in this transformation, in this change, some of his disciples get to see his appearance changed and receive a preview of his glory, a preview of his, his royal 
rule. This transformation seems to be alluding to that resurrection glory that these disciples, these three in particular, and later on it seems like they're all there too, get to witness this transforming, this change of Jesus. Well, what does it look like? Well, the text tells us that his face shone like the sun. Again, another parallel to Moses in Exodus 34 has this same change, the same transformation that happens to Moses, that Moses' face shines like the sun. The text says that his clothes were white as light, which also has some additional allusions like in Daniel 7 or Song of Solomon, the Wisdom of Solomon chapter 7, where their clothes are bright as light. And then the last allusion to this bright clothing, again, is in Matthew 28, when the resurrected Jesus appears, there's this brightness and lightness. Well, that's just the observations for the two, first two verses. Then in verse 3, Jesus is accompanied by Moses and Elijah. Now, both uh, are prophets in the Hebrew Bible, what we sometimes call the Old Testament. It seems that they are, are paired here because they are both prophets who were initially rejected by the people and later vindicated by God. Both are associated with the expectation of the end of age. Both were advocates of the covenant and of Torah. Both worked miracles and both were considered by first century Judaism to be these transcendent figures who did not die but were taken directly to heaven. They represent the heavenly world of divine vindication and affirmation. So we have these three now together, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And in comes Peter. The text says Peter reacted to all of this by saying to Jesus that he wants to build a building. Better yet, let's make it three. One for each of you. Now, my translation says shrines, but yours might say tents or huts or shelter, or even tabernacles. Eugene Peterson, in, in his text, The Message, renders this as memorials. The word, word here is skene, or skenia. Other people would translate it in a different tense as skenos, which really means all of those things. Some might think especially a first-century Jewish person, might immediately think of Leviticus 23 and the Festival of Booths. I wonder, some of you may have Jewish friends or neighbors, people who live in your neighborhood who are Jewish, who, when celebrating the Festival of Booths, will build a skania, a skenos, a, a tent, a booth, a dwelling place, in recognition of celebrating the Festival of Booths. So the same word is used for ordinary tents in the ancient Near East in Hebrew, as well as for tabernacle and for the temporary huts built at the festival of booths. For Matthew, skenos connotes the tabernacle, though, this, 
this, this holy tent, and eventually the temple that is built, where the fiery cloud that symbolizes the presence of God among the people dwelt over the ark. We've been considering tab- being tap. What are we tabernacle people? Are we uh, uh, temple people? And the idea that being tabernacle people means carrying God with us where we go. I want you to hold on to that idea as we're continuing to talk about what Peter is talking about here. Because see, whatever the case may be, it seems that Peter wants to build these skenos as places of remembering and celebrating this event. Peter and Matthew speaks much more respectfully than he does in Mark, yet still without insight. Oh, Peter, you stuck your foot in your mouth again. See, Peter's response to this great revelation, this great vision, seems to lack understanding. Peter Peter wanted to set Jesus, Moses, and Elijah at the same level. But God, in a few more verses later, will distinguish Jesus from the other two as the one with divine authority to lead God's people. And maybe the people who are first hearing this, the earliest of Christians in general, Maybe they're still placing Jesus in the category of the prophets. A lot of people nowadays, when I hear them talk about Jesus, they'll say he was a great prophet. And Peter's proposal to build these three skenos is along the same lines and misses the point. Our lives are to be the markers of the great things that Jesus has done and will do. Not a building. Not even a tent. Askenos. Well, moving on in verse 5, a bright cloud descended, once again symbolizing God's presence, as in uh, Exodus 40 and, and Psalms 104. This bright cloud that was seen on the top of Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, in, in the cloud, that led the people by day and that sat over the ark. And now a voice comes from this bright cloud. Once again, more allusions to Moses in Exodus 3, as a voice comes from the bush that is burning yet not consumed. And especially there's a call back to Matthew chapter 3 at Jesus' baptism, where a divine voice affirms Jesus as God's beloved And the voice that we will soon hear says the exact same thing that is said in Matthew 3. Our text here says then, that voice adds on from Matthew 3, listen to him. Well, there are three figures present. The heavenly voice charges the disciples to hear Jesus. For me, there's an echo to the Shema, hear. Shema means hear. Hear, O Israel. In Deuteronomy uh, 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God. Hear carries this Hebrew Bible connotation of obey. Listen. Hear what he has to say. Obey what he is saying. We are to obey Jesus. 
Now, in verse 7, we have this detail of Jesus touching them. The disciples have, have bowed down after seeing this and hearing this, this command, this, this claiming of Jesus as God's beloved and to hear, to listen to him, to obey him. The disciples have, have, have bowed down. They've put their heads to the ground. They're scared about this moment, this revelation, this vision. And we have this detail of Jesus touching them. Now, in, in Matthew, Jesus touching usually means healing. But here, it may serve to prove that after everything that they have just witnessed, after everything they have heard and seen, this Jesus touching them may serve to witness that Jesus is a real human. Now that they see Jesus himself alone. Moses and Elijah are gone. The text wants to tell us that Jesus is alone. This focuses our attention on Jesus, lest we be distracted by other figures. Amen. This distinguishes Jesus from Moses and Elijah who have disappeared. They depart, but Jesus stays without heavenly companions, without heavenly glory, you see, he is the tabernacle. He is the skenos. The, real, the reality of God's abiding presence descended from the mountain into the mundane human existence, filled with joys and suffering, filled with mission, accompanied in Jesus, who is God with us. The last observation is that Peter is told, no, 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 we're not going to build any buildings. We're not going to even build a skenos. And we're not going to stay on the top of this mountain. We're going to take this vision. We're going to take this revelation. We're going to take the presence of Jesus with us down the mountain. From here on, the text, Jesus has turned towards Jerusalem. This week, with as we prepare for this next Sunday, then the following week, we step into Lent. The transfiguration of Jesus is this transformation, this change in Jesus, but also this change in our countenance of, of where our gaze is. Now it's a gaze towards Jerusalem. That we go with Jesus, the tabernacle, the skenos, the presence of the living God, down the mountain towards Jerusalem. As we think about designing our lives to see the glory, we need to remember that the glory is not only on those mountaintop experiences. The glory is also as we traverse down the mountain with Jesus, as we journey towards Jerusalem with Jesus, as we carry the gospel of Jesus out into the world. The greatest glory to see in our lives is with Jesus. Grace and peace, my friends. I hope and pray you have a blessed week and a powerful discussion about Matthew 17 and this transfiguration of Jesus.